Hello and welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Cancer. I'm Shalini Jayashekhar, Senior Advocacy Manager with the Union for International Cancer Control, and I'll actually be taking over from the usual host Carrie Adams as he's out of the office. So today we will talk about access to medicines or rather the problem of lack of access to them. Medicine shortages have become a major issue around the world and we've seen everything from antibiotics to cancer treatment and medicines for chronic illnesses such as heart diseases etc missing from pharmacy shelves. Now these medicine shortages are a particular burden in low and middle income countries where access to and availability of essential cancer medicines and pain relief have been a long standing and systemic issue. And to dive deeper into this topic, I'm so pleased to welcome two guests to the podcast today. Hans Hogesell, the former director of essential medicines and pharmaceutical policies at the World Health Organization, and he'll be joined by Charles Go, who is the executive director of the Medicines Patent Pool. And the Medicines Patent Pool or MPP is also an observer to the Access to Oncology Medicines Coalition, which we will discuss later in the podcast. So why are we seeing this global shortage of medicines and is there a reason it's more acute now? Um Hans, perhaps you can take this one and start us off on the discussion. There may be several reasons for it. First of all, um, I think there are there has been such enormous competition that it has become very cheap. And usually uh, there will be many manufacturers, but there will only be very few manufacturers of the raw material. So the bottleneck, in my opinion, is with the raw material. And, and, and some of these companies may just have decided that their production lines can be better used for medicines or materials that can be sold at higher prices. I think that was one of the reasons why some of these medicines uh, just simply disappeared. I know some of the of the high-end Indian manufacturers, uh, rather than being the pharmacy for Africa, would basically say, okay, let's, let's use our production lines for medicines we can sell in Europe and in America at much bigger profits. So some of them have been too cheap. I think there's another reason. Sometimes, let me say, the competition or the tendering has been so fierce that it pushes uh, the companies out of the market. Charles, would you like to add anything to that? One of the things that I think this is absolutely shortages show it, but, but also COVID has shown it, is that the market doesn't fix everything. The market actually tends to create reliance on lowest cost producers. And what happens, is, as Hans was saying, is that uh, other people get driven out of the market. So what you have is things are as cheap as they could be, but you've lost security. And it's an understanding that you've got to pay for security. And things will be a little bit more expensive. But if you just go for efficiency, you're in terrible, terrible danger because, you know, we saw it in COVID with, for example, um, production of a certain vaccine concentrated in India, Something goes wrong. In that case, it was an export ban. And that's it. And nobody's got it. And this is the thing. You have to pay for security. And we need to be willing to do that. We cannot just let the market determine what happens. Why do these medicine shortages and lack of access to essential medicines weigh so heavily on low and middle income countries? One of the, the things that you see is that the, the greatest burden in terms of cancer deaths are in low and middle income countries. So they suffer particularly from these shortages. It's critical that we make sure that uh, low and middle income countries have 
like the basics. But there's been such an evolution of cancer medicines over time that some of the new ones are just definitely better. And the medicines patent pool really concentrates on the newer medicines that are still on patent. But often the, the lack of them is due to the fact they're not even registered in a lot of these countries. Uh, and if they are, then um, they're either uh, not on the, the country's essential medicines list, they're certainly, in most cases, not being paid for by the, the countries. So it's out-of-pocket expenditure. So essentially, in many countries, they're not available. And if they are available, they're simply not affordable. So how can we address this issue of medicine shortages worldwide, just for the basic essential off-patent medicines? Hans, perhaps you can take this one. Well, many people say uh, this is a market failure. Uh, the market is not able to, uh, to serve all the people. And especially, as Charles was saying, still so many people pay out of pocket uh, and, and have no insurance or anything like that. But we would say uh, it's not a market failure. It's a policy failure to rely on the market to resolve this. So I would, I would really uh, uh, support a very strong role for government. I mean, universal health coverage in general is not going to be achieved by the market alone. You will always have 20, 40% of the people who are simply too poor to pay for their even basic health care. And the only way is a longstanding system of, of, I would say, social health insurance. This basically means a sort of state-managed, state-controlled, and also state-subsidized health insurance system for everybody. And let me remind you that the health insurance system is actually the only way to do it for, because it has what we call a triple equity shift. There's three ways income or wealth is being transferred. First one is, of course, that the healthy pay also, also for the sick. That's the insurance system. But secondly, the rich pay for the poor. And the third one, as many people forget, the young subsidize the old. And by this triple shift, is it in the end possible that people with cancer and expensive uh, uh, diseases or long-standing diseases like diabetes, uh, which is maybe not so expensive per month, but goes on lifelong, only that way can you ensure that everybody gets, gets access. So to me, the only answer is on, towards universal health coverage is social health insurance with a large subsidy by the government. And moving to perhaps another possible solution as well, Charles, if I may address this next question to you, what does it mean for the development and distribution of novel medicines and their de delivery in underserved regions? Because we just talked about access to the essential medicines that are already on the list, but now moving on to the novel medicines that the MPP works on, perhaps you could address this question. We strongly believe, because we've shown it in uh, communicable diseases, that licensing from the uh, developers of, of the new medicines, uh, the originator companies, to or rather through MPP, the medicines patent pool, to generic manufacturers can allow the availability and affordability of novel medicines that are still on patent. That, that is one thing. There is also another issue here, which is uh, around uh, supply security. So, if, for example, you have one company that makes these drugs and uh, does the manufacturing and there is a problem in their factory, suddenly there's a shortage. What licensing can do is to create distributed manufacturing because when we give licenses to generic companies to make generic affordable versions, we do it to a range of companies because part of our model 
is to make sure there's competition between those companies to drive down the prices to the lowest sustainable level. But that has the benefit of then having this geographically distributed manufacturing network that hopefully then stops things like uh, stockouts and shortages because of lengthy or vulnerable supply chains. What role can local manufacturing play in this, Hans? The pandemic has shown the, the limits of globalization and, the, and the, the problems if in some country, or if, if we are only dependent on one or two manufacturers of all the uh, raw materials, for example. So I think there's a strong support and drive now towards more, at least regional domestic production in, in many more different countries or in the promising countries in the various uh, continents. So that is good. But of course, as Charles was saying, uh, there is a big role also for the, for the uh, registration and regulation, because you don't want domestic pro- uh, production of unassured quality but it also again it is you need a stronger government i was in one middle income country uh, i won't mention the name but it, with 40 million people and i think something like uh, well a few thousand uh, manufacturers uh, manufacturing plants and just the whole regulatory body has only 28 staff I mean, that's impossible. Uh, So it's not that sort of domestic production that we want. So the domestic production has to come with the technology transfer and with real support for the governmental uh, regulatory body. MPP is one of the founding members of the Access to Oncology Medicines Coalition, or ATOM, which I mentioned previously in the podcast. Can you elaborate, can you talk about why is the ATOM Coalition uniquely positioned to make a real difference in getting essential cancer medicines into low-income countries? So the Access to Oncology Medicines Coalition uh, came out of a conversation that we had with the Union for International Cancer Control a couple of years ago because we were very aware that we could get a license, we could develop affordable drugs, but that's just part of the issue. And it's clear that there are many other barriers to actually getting those drugs to the people who need them. For example, is there enough diagnostics in a country? Are there people who are able to interpret diagnostics? Is there a linkage to care if care is necessary? Are there enough oncologists to actually treat people? And so on. And so when we we brought this up with, with the Union for International Cancer Control, Uh, The CEO, Carrie Adams, said, yes, we totally understand that. What we need to do is to put together a coalition to address all these different aspects. And that's really what, what the Atom Coalition is about, making sure that each of the impediment to getting affordable and available drugs to the people who need them is addressed. And, of course, then what that does, hopefully, is encourage the pharmaceutical companies to think, ah, yes, we can now do this and to come forward and make their, their drugs available in one way or another. So Hans, you've just heard about the Atom Coalition. Would you have examples of past initiatives that, that have tried to provide access to medicines? And what can the Atom Coalition learn from this? Well, of course, we can 
try to learn. I mean, when we talk about HTB, malaria, uh, vaccines, contraceptives, there have been huge global initiatives, 20, 30, 40 years. Huh? We know them, the Global Fund, UNFPA, uh, Gavi. There are many, many uh, uh, organizations which have been working and, and collecting a lot of donor money uh, to to pay for the poor and help countries to, uh, uh, to buy these essential medicines uh, for their population and also increasingly support health systems development. Now, what I would like to say is all of these are basically public investments. They are public initiatives with a lot of public money. The main message is we need a strong government role. And if the Atom uh, coalition wants to make the best impact, it should work closely with governments. Let me mention one other initiative that has not been mentioned before, and that's more linked to the pharmaceutical industry. That's the Access to Medicine Index, which already for more than 12 years has basically developed a very good and strong and well-respected system of basically judging the 20 top companies on their behavior in uh, low- and middle-income countries. Uh, it's the research pipeline, it's the access planning, it's their pricing policies, it's their patent policies, it is their licensing policies. When you are telling the, gov the, the companies what you are measuring, you are basically telling them what you want them to do. And for many companies, that has been helpful too. I'm arrogant enough to think that not all companies knew exactly what the global public health community was actually uh, expecting from them or what they could do. So by uh, identifying the good examples, they would actually also uh, well influence each other and sort of the, the race to the top. So that initiative is not only measuring, but really guiding the industry. Thank you, Hans. We actually work with the Access to Medicines Foundation. They are advisors to, to the Atom Foundation, so we're really happy with, uh, with, with them and, and the guidance they provide us. Voluntary licensing is when the owner of a patented drug allows another company, who is the originator, to make and sell it in a specific area or market. And this can help make the drug more affordable and accessible to people who need it. The patent holder can also benefit by expanding their market reach and making money from royalties. The first ever voluntary license for a cancer medicine was announced in October last year. This is with um, nilotinib, setting a promising precedent. What else is on the horizon to make these generics more widely available? Thank you. Yes, um... We expanded our mandate to non-communicable diseases four years ago. It's taken that long to get the first license. So this is not easy. Um, as I said, I think that the big pharmaceutical companies, the developers of these new drugs, haven't really fully understood how this could be a benefit to them. So I think there's quite a long way to go on this. Um, Happily, one of the, the good things that's come out of COVID has been this focus on equitable access. And it's a real push for companies to look at access. And as Hans so rightly said, the uh, Access to, to Medicines Index is a very important and powerful tool in terms of showing companies the way to go. And they don't just score them. They also advise them on how to do better. And I think that's very important. I think also that um, investors are concentrating much more on an, East, an ESG, the, the uh, environment, social, and, and governance components. So the zeitgeist, if you like, is pushing or at least encouraging companies to think more clearly about access. 
And where we want to end up is every important new product is launched with a developed access plan. Basically, we want access plans developed almost during the R&D phase, people starting to think about that, so that it's in place and it's not an afterthought. There is this demand. If something is available in high-income countries, it should be available in low- and middle-income countries. And we need to ask ourselves maybe a different question than the one we've tended to ask ourselves, which is, you know, can we provide access? We need to ask ourselves, how can we provide access? And that's different because that assumes we can do it. Thank you both Charles and Hans for your insights. If you enjoyed this episode of Let's Talk Cancer, please follow and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any feedback or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear about, do send us an email at communications at uicc.org. We'd love to hear from you. 